Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. Trust you had an enjoyable 4th of July celebration. Yes? Had the opportunity to shut down and relax for a couple of days, and now it's back to reality, right? Okay, today we're going to begin a brand new summer series, and right out of the starting gate, I have to tip my hat to you, Version, because you, Version, provided us with the inspiration for this series. And in the event you're not familiar with it, you, Version, also known as Bible.com, is an online and mobile platform app. And with this app, you basically have a digital Bible at your fingertips 24-7. And just like Community Christian Church, version believes that seeking the wisdom and the guidance that comes from God's Word on a daily basis is not only spiritually healthy, but it also has the potential to transform your life everything that we've been singing about so far this morning. And that's basic and classic Romans 12 too. Be not conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the YouVersion app, it promotes spiritual growth and maturity using the Word of God. Wow. Not personal opinion, not human persuasion or anything else, we're talking God's Word. YouVersion is all about the Word of God. And at the beginning of this year, so back in January of 2021, YouVersion used technology and consumer data to create a year-end analysis of the most downloaded Bible verses during 2020, the year of the pandemic. And using this downloaded and shared Bible information from its 300 million users, YouVersion came up with a list of 10 verses of Scripture, the most read, the most reviewed verses of Scripture in 2020. And this summer, we're going to look at all 10 verses. Now, since we only have eight weeks left in July and August, we've got a little creative, combined two of the verses, and we put together eight powerful teachings from the Word of God. I know you're going to enjoy every single one of them, again, in July and August. And the 300 million YouVersion Bible readers, I'm one of them, maybe you are too, basically said these 10 verses of Scripture will speak volumes to your soul and they will help you navigate and weather the storms of life. And so today, we'd like to begin with the most popular of all the verses. This is the number one, again, according to YouVersion, all these people that use it, 300 million plus users, this was the number one Bible verse in 2020. Read the most, quoted the most, shared the most. Would you like to know which one it is? Thank you, appreciate it. Always can count on my front row people. All right, Isaiah 4110. This is it, number one, favorite verse of 2020. 
do not fear or fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. One more time. I wanted to get down in you. In Isaiah 41.10, God declared to his people, God said to us, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Now, when I read this passage, especially in light of its popularity last year, immediately it reveals to me the absolute fear and dread that gripped people during the pandemic. In fact, when I look back and consider some of my conversations and discussions with good Christian people, this one topic on fear kept surfacing over and over again. Fear of uncertainty, fear of sickness and disease, fear of joblessness and financial ruin, fear of death and dying. I mean, fear and at times panic that was tangible and that was real and left people paralyzed. And don't look now, but fear is still very much alive today. Now, in Isaiah 41.10, the passage that we just read, and throughout the Bible, really, whenever God encountered or detected fear in his people, how did God respond? What was the very first instruction that came from the heart of God? Fear not, or do not be afraid. In Genesis chapter 15, just a few pages into the Bible, when God encountered a man by the name of Abram, and Abram became fearful that God was not going to provide for him or meet his needs, how did God respond to Abram? Do not fear or fear not. Get all the way to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelations, chapter 1. When John the Beloved was exiled on the island of Patmos all by himself, he was there alone. And he had a very disturbing vision. In fact, he was so afraid after seeing this vision that he fell on his face as though he were dead. What did the Lord say to him? Fear not. From cover to cover, I'm talking Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere in between, whenever God stumbled upon fear-stricken, fear-filled man, he said the very same thing. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And right about now you might be thinking, what an outrageous statement for God to make. Easy for him to say, he's God. But what about the rest of us? In this broken, sinful, and grossly dark world that we live in, how could God possibly solicit a fearless posture from his people? How could God expect that from us? How? By reading very carefully and paying close attention to the next words out of his mouth. Fear not, or do not be afraid, for I am with you. Say that. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, do not fear, for I am your God. Say that. For I am your God. See, that changes everything. 
God didn't say, hey, I'd like you to overcome your fear and then walk away. He didn't say, why are you so afraid, and then vanish or disappear. He appealed to us and said, you don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. Every step of the way, I am your God. I am on your side. I will fight for you. I will contend with those who contend with you. I will sustain you. This is God's message to us. Not, it's not me telling you that God's faithful. He's saying it. God is declaring it himself. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and I am your God. I am right by your side, regardless of what you go through. Now, last month, we had the absolute joy of spending two weeks with our grandkids. They live out of state, in South Dakota, no less. Not a hop, skip, and a jump from Michigan. 14 hours drive time, no matter which way you slice it. And while they were here, Teresa and I took full advantage of every single moment. After they left, we crashed. I mean, we were in bed for days. But it was a very memorable, memorable two weeks time with them. And while they were here visiting, we had an opportunity to spend some alone time with Gio, my grandson, who's six years old. Audrey was doing some things with her mother for a couple hours, and so we took Gio to the playground at Dodge Park. And he was having a blast. I mean, he was climbing on the monkey bars. He was, he was playing on all the equipment. and I mean, he was having fun. But I noticed he was staying pretty close to the ground. You know, he wasn't getting very high. So I encouraged him. Gio, let's climb a little higher. He said no. I pressed him. He got upset with me. He said, Papa, I am not climbing any higher because I'm afraid I'm going to fall. I said, Gio, hold on one second. Look at me. I am your Papa. I'm standing right here watching you. Do you think that I would allow something bad to happen to you? Do you think I would let you fall and get hurt? Immediately he hung his head and he said, no, Papa, I know you would not let me get hurt. I said, great, let's climb. He said, no. <laughs> See, this is how we are with God. We read his word. We believe he's with us, that he won't leave us or forsake us. But the moment we encounter an alarming or unfavorable situation, what happens? We default to fear. It's exactly where we go. We allow this fear to consume us. William Clark, professor of molecular biology at UCLA, says this. Listen, fear is an unspoken memory. It's an unspoken memory that hides itself or gets stored in the, a unique part of the brain called the amygdala. Here's what he says. Fear provokes individuals to react rapidly, almost instinctively, in the face of potential danger. Not real danger. Not actual danger, but the possibility of danger. We react to the possibility of danger. And when the tendency to fear is exaggerated or embellished, the consequences, he says, can be crippling. It can paralyze us. And friend, according to the experts, there's nothing that fuels fear and anxiety any more than uncertainty. Not knowing what's going to happen. 
not having a handle on the future. That's why something like a pandemic can produce and create so much fear. It's uncertainty personified. Check this out. You would have to be over 100 years old to have already experienced what we went through in 2020. The last pandemic was 103 years ago in 1918. That's why from the first day until this day, no one's been able to solve the problems. We don't know much about it. And so is fear real? You better believe it is. But in light of its reality, can we get a handle on fear? And can we somehow neutralize it? The answer is absolutely yes. Because God provides us the answer in verses of scripture like Isaiah 41.10. That's why this one scripture brought so much comfort to God's people last year. Knowing God is with you and believing that he's your God, not just mine, but he's your God, will pack your amygdala with faith memory. Not just with fear, not just with potential danger, but with an acknowledgement that God is for you. And that faith is what we need more than anything else. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and what? Hearing by the word of God. This is why you version is so uh, embraced by people, because it gives us the word of God every time we need it. Wake up in the morning, in the middle of the night, you can grab your phone, you can pull up version. you get a verse of scripture. You don't have to grab a Bible to get any light. You can get the word of God whenever you need it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Can I tell you nicely that CNN is not going to build your faith? <laughs> Newsmax is not going to build your faith. The voice you need to hear above every other voice is the spirit of the living God coming to you from his word. Now, back in June, during the Family Matters series on Father's Day, I, I spoke a message and I encourage you, I appeal to you to inquire the Lord and to make God's will for your life a top priority. Anybody remember that message? I know it was three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, we have a hard time remembering what happened yesterday. So, yeah, I understand. Well, anyway, during that message, in order to get my point across, we took a look at an Old Testament story in 1 Samuel chapter 30, where David found himself in a little bit of trouble. And the Bible says that he called for the high priest, and he said to the high priest, bring me the ephod. Remember it now? You know, we had the high priest garments uh, hanging up here and, and a nice ephod that Mike Susan made from scratch. I mean, just an absolutely beautiful garment. And David said, bring me the ephod because the ephod is synonymous with seeking God's will. Desiring to know God's will more than your own experience and more than human wisdom. And I hate to say this to you today. I'm sorry to have to say this. But it's the truth. Seeking God and desiring to know what God thinks has really become a forgotten and lost art in the church today. Do we even care what God has to say? 
Does the protocol for making decisions include God? I mean, we all want God's blessing. We all say, God, favor me, and God, we want you to lead me. But do we even go to God and say, Lord, I'm facing this decision. What do you think? Friend, the answer for the church today, I believe it it comes down to us wanting God's will more than our own. We have to get back to that place of desiring to know what it is God wants us to do. You know, Jesus gave us that example in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the understanding and the weight of that cross began to pressure him and cause so much physical and emotional trauma, he cried out to God and said, God, get me out of this. I I don't know that I can do this. But what did he say after that? Not my will, but your will be done. You see, if you ask me from my perspective, desiring God's will, seeking God, wanting to know what God has to say about the issues that we're facing, that is one of the best ways to neutralize fear. I'm going to say it again. Desiring God, seeking God, going hard after the living God, that's how we neutralize fear because what happens is it puts us in a position and in a place where we have a lot of confidence in God. I mean, we're in step with the Spirit. And we're in the sweet spot of our relationship with him. And when you're there, you acknowledge his love and his faithfulness and his commitment. And I'm talking about his matchless, unconditional, perfect love. How many believe that God has that kind of love? He does. His love is perfect. And according to 1 John 4, 18, what does the Bible say about perfect love? It casts out fear. It can help you send fear packing. That's why understanding and receiving the love of God is so important. That's why when you're in that place and you know You're right where God wants you to be. You can have confidence in the love that God has provided for us. You can have confidence and assurance that he loves us. And when we have that kind of love uh, moving in us, that's when we believe that he is our God. That's when we can believe Isaiah 41 when it says that he is for us and not against us and he will fight for us. And we will know, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he favors us. You know, the devil wants you to think that God no longer favors you. That you have done something or for some reason God is upset with you, he's disappointed in you. I hear this coming from believers all the time. They tell me that God has pulled his favor from them. That God no longer is favor. And when you believe that, when you believe that God is messing with your life and the enemy convinces you that he's trying to disrupt your life, that's what brings the fear It's not having that confidence in his love. However, when we choose to follow God and desire him more than anything else, that's when we have power and authority over the devil and we can send him packing. Tell him to go fly a kite. Because because of the cross, what? We have that authority. Scripture says that 
We have weapons of warfare. They're mighty. They're not carnal. They're not worldly. They're powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. But we have to walk in the strength and in the power of his love. We have to be confident in that relationship. That helps us to overcome our fear. Now, the Bible declares over and over again that God wants us to know his will. He wants to reveal his will to us. Do you believe that? You should, because it's true. The scripture supports a theory that God designed your birth. He spoke your life into existence before the foundation of the world. He saw you. He knew you. He fashioned you together before you were born. It's God's doing. You're not an accident. You're not here for any other reason other than God put you here. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he will work an entire lifetime trying to get that purpose across to you. He will try to express himself in so many different ways so that you can walk in the fulfillment of what God has designed for you. But he does have one main requirement. If you're going to seek God and desire to know his will for your life, walk in the plan and purpose that he has for you, he has one condition. You have to pursue him. You have to go after him. God says, I want you to look for me. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 13, here's what he says. You will seek me. And what? You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. This is not just a casual relationship here we're talking about. God says, you don't have any idea or any clue what I want to do in your life, how I want you to know my favor and my increase, but you have to pursue me. That's a requirement. That's a prerequisite. That's something that God says is essential. You know, many believers have done that. Over the years, as we've taught this from the word of God, many, many Christians have locked into the idea of seeking God. And they have done this. They have asked God to show them the way. Because they desire to know God's will. They're determined to hear from God. But here's the problem. Sometimes God answers that prayer. And when he begins to show us exactly what he has in store for us, we get out of control. Because sometimes God's plan is different than the direction we want to go. Sometimes he stretches a little bit more than we want to be stretched. And sometimes God will bump us outside of our comfort zone. And so wanting to know God's will, which is if I asked you, probably everybody would raise their hand. Seeking to know God's will, that's only half of the battle. And it's the easy half. There's another half. There's another piece. It's doing what God reveals to you. It's making the sacrifices. It's surrendering to God. It's saying the very same thing that Jesus taught us to say, Lord, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. Father, I surrender my plans to you. I surrender my wants and my desires to you. And oftentimes, this is where we get tripped up. 
And friends, I'm just speaking honestly to you because we're closing in on our 30-year anniversary in a couple of months at the beginning of next year, and I have been with a lot of Christian people, and I've talked to a lot of believers, and I find out that sometimes God reveals to us what it is that he wants us to do, and we don't want to do it. It's just something like it wasn't what we had in mind. And so in the time remaining this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you the three typical ways that people respond to God. When people ask God, what is it that you want me to do? God, I want you to reveal your plan and your purpose for my life. And God begins to share it with us. And God says, okay, I'm really happy that you're asking. I'm really happy that you're pursuing. So let me begin to show you exactly what I want from you. This is the way that people respond. Typically three ways. First way, when, pe- when God speaks, people say, I can't. Lord, I can't do that. I don't know why you would ever think that I was capable of doing that. And you know, God makes the same mistake over and over again. He, he calls people and gives them assignments that they're just not capable of doing. So the first way that people respond to God is, I can't. Then some people, when they hear what God has to say, uh, they're a little bit more ambitious and aggressive, and they say, I won't. God, I won't do that. No way am I doing that. Are you kidding? So there's people that respond to God after you're asking. Remember, we're asking God to show us, and so some people say, I can't. Some people say, I won't. And then there's this third group of people who say, okay, God, I'll give it a shot. I'll try it. And so here's the three ways again. I can't, I won't, and I will. One more time. I can't, I won't, and I will. And so let's take a quick look at all three of these. And we'll look at them one at a time. Believe it or not, all three postures are in the Bible. And the Bible characters we're going to look at that satisfy all three of these were godly people. Okay, and we're not talking about sinful heathen here, right? These were people that had a relationship with God. They respected God, right? Number one, I can't. Lord, I wish I could. I'd really like to try to do it for you, but I can't. I'm not capable of doing what you're asking. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, what a beautiful verse, message in and of itself. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. 
Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Lies to complaint. An objection. He said, God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, Moses said to God, dude, I'd really like to help you out here. I'd love to be your man. But there's no way I can do this. I'm not capable of this. I don't have what it takes. I'm not qualified. I'm not articulate in speech. I can't communicate. God, you know as well as I do, this is not going to work for us. I can't do this. And a few verses later in Exodus 4, 12 and 13, the Lord said to Moses, but I'm going to be with you. As you speak, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And I will instruct you what to say. I'm going to put words in your mouth. But again, Moses pleaded. He, he said, Lord, please send someone else. Send anyone else. Send someone who's a little bit more qualified than me. Someone who has a little higher credentials or a, a better resume. Someone with more skill, more talent. Someone who can get this job done because, God, I can't do this. Now, God's telling Moses he can. And Moses telling God, I can't. And it wasn't like he was being rebellious. I mean, read through Moses' life. I mean, the, the scripture identifies him as a humble guy, the most humble of all. He wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't insubordinate or lazy. He legitimately thought he was incapable of doing what God was asking him to do. And so he said, I can't. And how many people think this about themselves? Lord, why are you asking me? Ask the person next to me. They got it all together. They, they can do it. I can't. So, there are some people, like Moses, after God speaks, they just walk away because they say, I can't do it. Then there's a second group who say, I won't. I'm not going to do that. Imagine. some people like that. Jonah chapter 1. <laughs> Verses 1 through 3. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. What a powerful word. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and hopped on board in total disregard to the word of the Lord. Here Jonah clearly says to God, I'm not doing what you're asking me to do. And the message is crystal clear. I mean, he didn't beat around the bush. He said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. You have your reasons, and that's fine, but I'm not going to go. And when you read through the book of Jonah, you'll find out that he did have reasons, and he thought they were very good. Most of us have our reasons. You might even be able to justify your position when you go against God. 
and when you argue with God. But I can tell you from past experience, an I won't stance with God is never going to end well for you. It just is not. And the only reason it's not is because God is committed to getting you to the place you need to be. And he will continually pursue you, just like he did Jonah. You can save yourself a lot of trouble by surrendering. So there are people who say, I can't. There's some people who say, I won't. But then there's this third group of people who are somehow able to overcome every objection and every doubt and every fear and they lock in to what God is saying and they surrender to his will and they say, I will. I will. Such is the case in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And we need a little girl to show us the way. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man, a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Verse 34. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who it was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Say what? No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, Mary responded to God and said, I'm all in. I will do what you are asking of me. Lord, I don't understand it. Don't have a clue how in the world you're going to accomplish it. But I willingly make the choice to do everything that you're asking of me. And friend, this is the response that God is looking for. And believe it or not, this is going to be revelation for some of you. This is the response that will ultimately bring you the most joy, peace, and fulfillment in your life. I have to say that again. Saying yes to God is what is going to fulfill you. I'll be the first one to say that God has been good to me. In fact, I couldn't hold back the tears when we were singing that song this morning, The Goodness of God. He has been faithful. I can't count the number of blessings and the outpouring of his grace and mercy to me. And I don't know why it's him, not because of anything that I have done. And I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful to God for his goodness. But I can tell you that saying yes to God especially with the impossible assignments. In my mind, they were impossible. And desiring to be in the center of God's will and watching God go to work has been the greatest blessing in my life. It trumps everything else that has happened to me. I will, God. That's what Mary said. Say that. I will. 
One more time. I will. Be it unto me, Lord, according to your word. Now, just to be clear and to balance this all out, choosing God's will, saying yes to God, and desiring his plan and purpose for your life is not going to remove all human fear. I'm going to say it again. It's not going to remove all your fear. Sometimes you're going to be in the very center of God's will, doing exactly what God has asked you to do, and you're going to be scared to death. Happens all the time. But that's the beauty of Isaiah 41.10. That's when Isaiah 41.10 kicks in, where God says, do not be afraid. Okay, you're afraid, but do not be afraid because I'm with you. Do not be dismayed because I am your God. That's the power of I will. When you say to God, I will, and you mean it, God says back to you, I will, and nothing can deny him. Nothing can defeat or stop the plan of God. And he follows it up at the end of 41.10, Isaiah 41.10, by saying, I will sustain you. I will strengthen you, embrace you. I'll hide you right in the palm of my hand, and that's right where you'll be the entire time. See, that's God's commitment to us. When we say, I will, all during the process of I will, we come face to face with a faithful God, and that God continues to reveal to us the power of his love, layer after layer after layer. Man, when you get in that position, you say, God, you even have more love than you show me? You're even more committed than you've been in the past? It just builds your faith. It just puts you in that place where you want to go with God and never look back. In fact, God's perfect love is what makes him so powerful. Say that again. I wrote that. God's perfect love is what makes him so powerful. Chew on that this week. His perfect love makes him a powerful God. We don't know perfect love. We don't have it. He does. And every time as a pastor that I come in contact with someone who's consumed with fear or overwhelmed by the uncertainties of this world, I do one thing. The first thing I do is point them to God's love. That's the foundation. And it may seem or sound overly simplistic to you, but friend, knowing, receiving, and believing in the love of God, it's paramount to overcoming our fear. There's a lot of fear in the world today, but our God is greater. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, a couple thousand years ago, you sent your Son who revealed to us the full extent of your love. Those were his words. We had absolutely no way of knowing what perfect love even looked like until Jesus came along. And he laid down his life and he went to the cross and he died there for me. And he said, greater love has no one than this. This is the greatest love that we could ever encounter in this life. And Father, I pray as the very foundation of our relationship with you 
that we would know the love of God, that we would believe that you love us. As Zach said a little earlier, sometimes the circumstances of our lives don't point to a good God or a loving God. The skeptical mind could say, how could a loving God do that? But Father, we put out all those objections, all those doubts, and we lock into a God who cares so much about us that you sacrificed your own son. Lord, in these closing moments, I, I ask you to let the love of God be tangible in this room and every other room who's listening to me right now or watching. Reveal to us, Lord, your love. We pray in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.